uh, as a matter of housekeeping, do I need to wear pants? <laughs> <laughs> that is so going on the introduction to the show. <laughs> Thank you for that image, Damien. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Episode 8 of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical and joyful. Today's show is about marriage. Marvellous mayhem is what I've subtitled it. Um... I was going to use the title Messy Marriage, but apparently that's been taken by somebody else and, and we didn't want to get tangled up with that. It's supposed to be an honest conversation about marriage, hardships, ups and downs, joys and struggles of modern Catholic marriages. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Renee Cole ryan my co-host and professor in philosophy at the University of Notre Dame. Hello, Renee. Hello, Peter. Our special guest today from all the way across the Pacific Ocean are Simka and Damien Fisher. Hello and welcome to This Catholic Life. Hello. Is that how you pronounce it, Simi? I've never known. It's been 20 years. I, I was too afraid to ask. All right. What have I got All wrong? Right. <laughs> the intimacies of marriage are coming to the fore here, or lack thereof. <laughs> what are we talking about pronouncing here? Sorry? That's, that's, it's, uh, Simka? Uh, nobody, nobody knows. Don't worry. We're, I'm, I'm just I'm you're, teasing you. You're teasing me. <laughs> it's not true, Mike. Americans do have a sense of humor. No, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Pacific Ocean that got them. Really? Pacific? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? It was the Pacific, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, so, I was confused. I, I look at the Atlantic. I forget about the Pacific. Right. Well, it's really, funny. As he was saying <laughs> that, I was thinking, yeah, you have to get across the Pacific, and then you have to get the across the entire landmass of the United States, because yeah. I'd spend these epic hours in planes doing that. So, mm. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I remember, Renee, you had like nothing but winter for four yeah, years. Yeah, that's we, right. Yeah, we all felt really bad about that. Thank show. you. <laughs> All right. right. Before we jump in, we wanted to thank you, the listener, for supporting us by subscribing to the podcast. And a big shout out to those who've already left us many kind reviews on iTunes. It means a lot to us and it actually helps other people discover our podcast. So thank you very much. Keep the ideas coming and the comments. We really value your feedback. We are listening to them and we're looking forward to using your ideas in future podcasts. Uh, Simka Fisher um, wrote a book a long time ago. Now, geez, is it that? It's, how, how long, long ago is it, is it now? Simi? How long has it been? Since the Sinner's Guide uh, to NFP. I, it's long enough that I should have had another book out by now. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Writer's guilt. Yeah. Oh, this one counts for a few, I think, in in terms of its effect, etc. Um, on your Twitter feed, I was reading your introduction again yesterday, and and you saying, uh, keep in mind as I'm as I'm writing this, I am nursing and I'm doing all these other things. Yeah. So it was really a snapshot in time. Um, <laughs> Simka on her Twitter feed describes herself as speaker, author of Sinner's Guide to NFP, mother of 10, slob drinker, selective pedant, uh, blabbermouth, and fat runner. Now, none of those are are very kind on you. Um, Leaving aside her self-depreciating humor, Simka is a freelance writer, writes for our own Catholic Weekly, for which we're very grateful, for America Magazine and for Parable Magazine, has speaking engagements around the USA and we hope sometime in the future in Australia, and a weekly podcast with her husband, Damien, which I have to say, as a subscriber, I find hilarious. Um, And a lot of good fun, good wholesome fun. It's currently open to patrons of her website. It's really tiny. I can't remember how much it is, but it's not much to get involved. So get involved in that. We'll be putting that link in the podcast notes. She won the Best Column Awards from the Catholic Press Association in 2018 and 2019. And she blogs about food, family things, and life, the universe, and everything. She's the author, of, as I said, of The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning. Her husband, who has very kindly um, joined us, Damien, is a correspondent for various news outlets in New Hampshire, New Hampshire Union Leader, I think is the most recent. Is that right? That's that's correct. Yep. And uh, before that, I, I've, I'm a newspaper lifer, so right. there's only so many newspapers in New England you can work for. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> He's a hardworking journalist of the old-fashioned variety, and that by old-fashioned, I mean he actually investigates what he's reporting on, which is one and of <laughs> now it's one of those chicken and egg arguments, isn't it? You investigate things and then you drink, or then you drink and then you investigate. It all turns into one big drinking investigating thing. Uh, his, I haven't um, shot anybody in a long time. So. 
He describes himself on LinkedIn as a professional troublemaker in or any given area, but his highest recommendation is comes from his wife, who's often heard bragging about him and how awesome he is and making all other wives jealous and husbands annoyed that we have to live up to this standard. So well done, you, only slightly sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to, you guys? We actually just we actually just got home from uh, uh, our our first official family vacation. We've been we've been married for two what 20, 22, 20 something years. Yep. years twenty two years. Yes. And we took an actual vacation. We got a we got a beach house. We went to this is why I got thrown off because we were at the at the Atlantic Ocean. There was no, no ah, Pacific Ocean. Ah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Geography. <laughs> and and how long were you on vacation? A whole week. It was wonderful. Wow. It, was, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, it was Australians beautiful. barely work. They get like seven or eight weeks of vacation a month. Right. Yeah, right. A month. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> That's Actually, right. And we can't do math. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. Well, their dreams go the wrong way. So that's, that's, right. that's right. That's right. You used to. Well, I, I should actually add in here, if I may, Peter, that there is a connection between Simi and Damien and I because we all went to college together. So if that's we're talking like we know each other, it's because we do. And Simka used to give me the hardest time about the water going down the drain the wrong way. I think we actually got into some arguments about this when I first came because right. I was so so uptight about oh, being right. Australian and everyone else was American and now the water went the wrong way. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, poor me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Years later, but thank mm, you. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Let's dive right into today's topic, marriage, uh, marvellous mayhem of marriage. Um, we should begin by defining what we're talking about here. When we talk about marriage, we're we're specifically addressing what Catholics mean when they say marriage, which is a man and a woman uh, joined together for life in a sacramental bond. Um, clearly, the idea of relationships, though, and permanent relationships is a part of, of everybody. But I wanted to hone in on one particular aspect of the Catholic approach to marriage. Catholics have been really good at proposing an ideal of marriage, but up until fairly recently, it wasn't cool or wasn't allowed for us to talk about the nitty-gritty hard stuff in marriage, the really struggle in marriage. And I, I have to say, Cynthia, my first contact with you was to read that first article that you wrote. Maybe it wasn't the first, but it was the first time I came across it, where you opened up with, welcome to the NFP club. The first rule of the NFP club is don't talk about the NFP club. Is that, the, oh. is that when it first started? Yeah. And boy, I mean... Things certainly have changed, haven't they? People are talking a lot about it, like to the degree where I really don't um, want to hear. It's <laughs> <laughs> You're over it now. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the podcast or anything, but people Just... are people are definitely talking about it a lot more than they were. But it wasn't it wasn't that long ago that it was you know it was such a hard sell that Catholics are so countercultural mm. in using it instead of contraception that. You really, you were really, really firmly, almost forbidden from criticizing it or from acknowledging that that NFP or that marriage in general was difficult because right. that bad people wouldn't want to do it. But we've got a lot of listeners who aren't necessarily Catholic, so perhaps we need to take a step back and say what are these peculiar letters NFP and what do they stand for and what does it mean? Yeah. So. Uh, do you want to? You want me to tackle that, or do you want to do that? You have a go. <laughs> no. <laughs> It'd be good to hear from you. Okay. And then can, well, Damien can tell us what it really is after that. <laughs> she wrote the book, not me. <laughs> but you're the investigative journalist, so. That's right. He's been looking into it ever since. <laughs> As it were, uh, natural family planning NFP stands for natural family planning, and basically, it just means that rather than you introducing something into your sex life to control your fertility. You just pay attention to the natural signs that your body exhibits and, and you know, that, that a woman's body exhibits every month. And you decide what you want to do from there. If you want to have a baby, you will have sex during fertile times. If you don't want to have a baby, you won't have sex during fertile times. And that is the, the the base the baseline of it, and it's you know a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically how it goes. And mm. the idea is that you're not changing anything; you're just doing you're just using your bodies the way the, the way that your body already is, and so you're not changing anything about your sex life, but just sort of letting it be what it is and enjoying it for what it is. Yeah. So in Australia, I, I talk I talk, often talk to the Billings counselors, and and they tell me that about half the people in Australia who access 
Um, billings, by the way, is one of the methods of NFP. The, they say about half the people who access this this method and, and look for training in this are actually not Christians at all. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just looking yeah. for a natural yeah, way a, to deal with their body. It seems to be a growing trend over here. Yeah, it definitely is here too. People are really tired of being told that the way that their body works is broken and should be medicated or they should have surgery or should they should have, you know, a, a copper coil inserted or they should have, you know, things implanted in their bodies or they mm. should be on hormones all the time when there's not anything wrong with them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and 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 there's a lot of women who have spent decades suffering horrible side effects from contraception yeah. and being told just what they have to do because they are a woman. And it really, it seems unfair because it is unfair. Yeah. I, I so, actually had this experience because I was a Protestant before I became a Catholic and, and they basically don't tell you what the effects are and you're given the contraception when you get to a certain certain you know, part of your relationship, namely just before you get married. And they say, here you go, you've got to use this because it's unwise to have children. And we were more or less just, it was just the done thing. And I noticed very clearly that it changed my wife's personality. It wasn't anything about sex. It was just that it flatlined her. She was this vivacious, you know, a variable person who who was, you know, hot, cold, all this sort of thing. But then suddenly she just flatlined. And uh, and I didn't notice until we had our first child that when she came off all the the hormonal uh, contraceptives that suddenly I had her back. It's like she'd suddenly reappeared. And I'm like, wow. Wow. And, and then we looked into the NFP and because um, somebody eventually told us, you know, it's an abortifacient. It, it ca- can, in fact, cause an abortion um, without you knowing it. And that horrified me as a Christian. Um, and I looked into the NFP and we were using that before I became Catholic. But what I was horrified by was nobody discussed it. People who didn't even know what NFP was uh, simply hadn't even discussed this hormonal stuff. Um, so it's good that we're talking about it, but also it's good that we talk about the other side of it because your article points to, um, a problem, which was around the time I think of the article that everyone was busy spruiking the, the positive benefits of NFP and it's wonderful. You'll have all these amazing effects on your marriage, but they weren't talking about actually, this is bloody hard. Um, this is really hard to do and there, there's drawbacks and, and you, you, um, in your article, you list a whole bunch of ways in which it's awful. And I think you used the, is it the Churchill line? You culminated with NFB is the worst possible method of controlling your fertility, except for all the others. <laughs> except for all the others, right. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you, you had a lot of response, especially when I shared it in Australia, I got a lot of response, positive and negative. What did you know, what, why do you think the reaction was so strong? And firstly, I should ask you, what was the reaction to you? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what the response well, was. Do you remember, Damien? Well, people always, um, surprisingly, they get upset when you talk about their sex lives. <laughs> 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 and you might, it's a bit personal, isn't it? They might be doing it wrong. And, and <laughs> some of them are. Right, <laughs> yes. And when you point this out, I'm sure that it doesn't lead to happy exchanges. Mm. No, it's, it's, uh, but it's a sensitive topic, uh, but so many people misunderstand it because so many people have a misunderstanding of what sex actually is to begin with. Yeah. 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 And just like, I mean, just like people, people accept that you just have to use contraception all the time because it's the responsible thing to do. A lot of people accept unhappiness and dysfunction in their marriage because they just, that's, that's how it's always been. That's what they've always seen in other people's marriages Mm. and they don't. And they don't understand not only the the great joy that can come out of working and building to have a good marriage, but also they don't understand how much uh, deliberate effort it takes to get there. Neither one of those things, you know, the great rewards and also how much work you have to put in to to, to reap those rewards, to grow those rewards. Mm. So those are all things that don't get talked about. And NFP, it gets easier, I would say, probably like seventh, eighth kid. I know, hang in there. I love, actually, that's going to be one of your taglines, doesn't it, Simi? Hang in there. I know when, um, because you guys started having a family before my husband and I did, and I used to take a lot, a a great deal of solace from your posts where occasionally you would say, you know, my older kids are in the kitchen making dinner for me right now, and I'm just sitting here hanging out with my husband. Just hang in there. It'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. When you have just, my sister used to call it stuck in baby land when you're stuck yeah. in baby land. Yeah. And, you know, all you ever, I remember I had at one point, 
<laughs> I had three kids in diapers and like all I ever saw was butts. Yeah. That was it. It <laughs> yeah. was the only thing. I it's gross, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Damien, I'm going to put this one to you. Um, there were, uh, I was watching some of the, um, a lot of the feedback to Simka, not just from the article, but when the book first came out. And uh, uh, as a husband, I was l- thinking, man, um, I wonder what Damien's thinking right now, because if someone talked to my wife that way, you know, I don't know if I'd be quite as restrained as he seems to be. I've, <laughs> I've I, never heard that before. <laughs> I've never, yeah. Damien restrained. You know, I, I've, I've, I, I think I've mellowed out you have in, mellowed the, in the out. past couple of years. And it, surpri- it not surprisingly coincides with me uh, uh, starting to buy firearms. <laughs> so say what you like. I'm just going to buy another box of shotgun shells. <laughs> Well, Australians look on, it's probably touching on a topic we don't want to go into, but Australians still look at America with a kind of a bemused misunderstanding. What the heck? Because we have guns and farms and places we need them, but you just don't see them in cities and it's just not, it's just not accessible. So, and we seem to be getting all right. That's absolutely fine. You Mm. know, (laughs) some people have, um, some people have issues and and they seem to try and make up for them with with firearms and Mm. That's true. Yeah. There was a guy who went nuts recently here in Australia, in Sydney, actually, with a knife, and he was running around our city doing some crazy things. And some of our locals, uh, they grabbed milk crates they, in a they, chair and they pinned, pinned him, him down, down the chair Ooh, in a milk crate. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so minimal damage done. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was kind of funny. A great moment of civic something. Yeah. And then, of course, the inevitable joke took about twelve hours to surface. It would make Australia crate again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, let's not go there. We're come back, coming back to, come back, come back, to come less back. controversial things such as NFP. Um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of gentlemen out there uh, seem to think that um, every woman should obey them as well as their husband and God and the Pope. That's true. And it's, it's yeah. kind of an odd phenomenon. It especially happens when, when women uh, assert themselves and, mm-hmm. and talk about sex and, and uh, gender roles and, and – uh, how they don't like to be treated like children. Yeah, that that was that was a lot of the blowback. It wasn't necessarily what I was saying. It was uh, the fact that the fact that I, as a woman, had the temerity to speak up about things that in a conversation that they hadn't started. Right. I think that okay. got it. Right. And that and, and 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 that's one of those sort of bubble things that you know once you once you move out of that crowd, it doesn't. It's not so much of an issue. But there are. It's surprising how there are still these. I don't know how it is in Australia, but in, in the United States. Uh, there are these pockets of super ultra conservative places where you think you've gone back in a time machine, mm. and and they do. Damien said they expect you to 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 obey them just because they're a man. And I'm like, dude, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I found interesting as well when you were writing as you were, Simi, that there was actually a backlash within the church against church teaching in this area. So you got the ultra conservatives who were saying, well, there should be absolutely no holding back um, in the area of procreation, shall we say, in one's married life, because um, you just don't interfere with that kind of stuff. At the same time saying we don't talk about sex at all. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I found that interesting, the anti-NFPers. Um, so NFP, as far as I understand it historically, was given its um, its authority, I suppose, in terms of church teaching back in, was it 68 when Humane Vitae was written? So on yeah. human life? And yeah, it was, uh, it was known before then. It's not like that was when it was invented. That's but that right. was when they said, well, if NFP is going to be if NFP is acceptable, then can we also say that contraception is acceptable? Yeah. I think that was one of the major questions yeah. um, that, that was posed to the Pope. And um, and he said, listen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. Humani Vitae, people, are, people, ha- people haven't read Humani Vitae. It is short. It is, it's, in nor- it's in normal, simple language. It's not some kind of high-flown uh, 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 scholarly language. And I wish people would read it because it's, a, it's an exciting little piece of work, and it's um, it, it's it, it doesn't hold back, and it's very uh, it's very it's very gentle, but it's very forthright, and it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite encyclicals. <laughs> yeah, it's also quite Never prophetic. Thought. We were talking well, about yes. this the other day, so, yeah. talking about how women were going to be um, treated worse rather than better if artificial contraception yeah. became the norm, and I think. We see that more and more. Mm, we've got a, a campaigner here uh, in, in Australia who's not particularly religious, but um, 
uh, Melinda Tankard-Reist and her collective shout organisation are uh, touring the country and getting a good audience, in fact, with regards to the pornification of young girls and the pornification of culture and the fact that this whole um, objectification, particularly of women, um, has sort of basically taken over the culture and it's had very profoundly, measurably unhealthy effect on our society. So, yeah, that's, yeah, it is prophetic. I would maybe you're throwing a slightly different view here is that um, Humana Vitae is beautiful, but at reading it at first as an outsider, because I wasn't a Catholic when I first read it, it does assume a whole lot of things that are given in the Catholic faith and which I would say that not many people who aren't Catholic would assume. And so uh, what I see Evangelium Vitae is doing, uh, Pope John Paul II's follow-up, uh, is attempting to kind of write in the background understanding that the whole culture of life, the culture of uh, receiving life from God and the joy of our relationships, et cetera. Um, whether he's done a good job of that is another question, but I, I, I remember being quite puzzled when I read Humana Vitae um, at first uh, because I didn't have yeah. the background. Interestingly enough, my wife read it um, when we were thinking about becoming Catholic and she said, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> you know, they, they want me to be a woman. That was her, that was her phrase. They mm. want me to be a woman. And I said, we've been married for how long? I want <laughs> You've you to not be been a woman. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> but she said, no, no, these guys aren't telling me to go and have a career. And now not that there's anything wrong with careers, but she, they're not telling me to get out of the house to avoid this in order to be a successful person. They're actually celebrating the fact that I'm a woman in whatever I do. Uh, which probably shows the difference. I mean, I, I was reading Fidus et Ratio, which is faith and reason and intellectual stuff. <laughs> she was going, I'm out of um, <laughs> Now, in terms of the book and its, its development of this theme, um, a lot of the book reads as if you're drawing on a wide range of experiences from marriage. Now, some of it clearly is you're drawing on your own experiences, but it sa- seems as if you're drawing from a much broader range of experiences. Is that because you reached out to people or they came to you with information after that first essay? Where did, where did a lot of that stuff come from? Well, I was very lucky in that I was a member of an online group. of. It wasn't a Facebook group. It was really before Facebook. It was just an online group, a support group of mostly women, thousands and thousands of women who use natural family planning. And they were in all, you know, some of them were very traditional. Some of them were very liberal. Some of them were newlyweds. Some of them were, you know, had been married for decades and decades. And it was just, it was a, it was a sort of a free-for-all. And it was a place where, <clears throat> excuse me, it was just a place where everybody could, they could vent, they could ask advice, they could tell stories, they could say, has is anybody else dealing with this? Um, they could say, you know, is this ridiculous? Do I really have to put up with this? Mm-hmm. Just anything having to do with NFP and having to do with sort of Catholic marriage in general. Um, and, and, and it was a very, it, it was, it was a really unusual, I think it was a really unusual place. And I, you know, I, I didn't have any real life friends, as they say, I didn't, I didn't, when we were first married, I was pretty isolated. You know, I was home with the baby and I didn't have the car and (laughs) we were in a new town and it was, it was very, it was very isolating. It was, and it was difficult, but I did have this group of online friends who were um, not only, not only very supportive to me personally, but exposed me to experiences, which I, which I didn't have and which really opened my eyes because, you know, it's one of those things. Marriage is one of those things where, you tend to feel like your experience is the experience if you don't know any better. And I think it's a very healthy thing, if sometimes a difficult thing, to really listen to other people and to understand that, you know, they're, oh, it's hard to say this without sounding like a cliche, but other people's experiences are real also, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. though they're the ones you personally are experiencing. And, 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 that's why, um, and that's why sometimes church teaching tends to be a little bit vague it comes across as vague because it's it's like well why won't you just give me the nitty-gritty why won't you just be specific and explain exactly what i'm supposed to be doing in my mm-hmm. life and the reason for that is because there's all different kinds of lives and there's supposed to be all different kinds of lives you know it's a it's a feature not a bug as they say that there's all different yeah. kinds of people and that's what it means to be a free human being i think right. you've touched on that in your writing too simi um if i recall correctly there's a big debate Oh, which probably hinges on a translation flaw or not, I don't know, in Humane Vitae, on what a good reason is to not have a child yeah. at any given time. Um, yeah. And I know that you fleshed that out in a way that I found really helpful at the time when I was dealing with students who were asking me about this because you just brought it to a really everyday level that was really helpful. It, it's something that, um, you know, there are people who will say that, well, 
and it is like as as you as you touched on it was a it's a translation problem it's the the it was it's gravis um um shoot now i can't remember the latin but it's a, it's a false cognate is what it is yeah. and it makes it sound you have to have grave reasons so like you basically have to have like one foot in the grave if you're That's going right. to avoid having another baby right now and it can i just clarify that. that just for the listener who's yeah. not familiar with this particular debate we're talking about in in a catholic understanding of um, marital relationships there are good reasons, let's just say in a general term, there are good reasons to not want to have a child right now. And then mm-hmm. the document says that this humana vitae says, um, it uses the, a word which sometimes is translated as you need grave reasons to not have a child now, which some um, more enthusiastic uh, Catholics um, have mm-hmm. suggested that's only danger of death. You basically have to have kids any other time. And even then, I mean, is death really that bad? <laughs> <laughs> Surely, you know, they can get along without you because you're They're martyrs. You're, yeah, exactly. Right. The martyrs to the cause. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like, you know, God has a wonderful plan for yeah, you? Yeah, talk about good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, one of the chapters of your book, um, Cynthia, I was just, again, I was just reading it again recently and chuckling my way through it, was was a list of, you know, person A, person B, person C, person D kind of different circumstances where exactly the same question could be put to them in different circumstances and even the same conditions or even the same monetary figures involved in wages and all that sort of thing, and they might have different answers. And it's very much a struggle of individual consciences. And I'm not trying to say truth is relative here, but it's a genuine difference of situation. Um, One of the things that uh, kept coming up, um, in my mind at least, was this assertion that NFP makes marriages better, that you're better off with NFP um, and that, in fact, there's it, it all these wonderful, beautiful side effects of NFP, and it's going to make you more com- better at communicating with your your spouse, etc. And one of the things that came up with early on when I was doing it was that it was actually really hard, and yeah. we were really struggling to communicate, and and there were, it, it in fact exacerbated some of the problems that we had in communication, and we had to work them through. And the benefits were actually in the working them through, not just some sort of magical waving the wand of NFP. I would ask you, I guess, what about the assertion from outsiders that say, well, this is clear evidence that NFP actually makes marriage harder or makes it worse. So I'll throw that one at you. Yeah. It kind of does for a while. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it does in the same way that, I mean, you know, it, it's a funny thing because of the, the secular world and people in general will accept that you have to work hard to get all kinds of other things. Like if you want to Say I want to lose 60 pounds. People don't expect that to happen overnight just because I sign on to a program or something. Mm. Or I want to become extremely fit or I want to climb to the top of a mountain or I want to earn a degree or something like that. Everybody assumes that, of course, you're going to have to work hard to get that. And it will be rewarding, but you have to work hard and you learn all kinds of things about yourself along the way. And you gain confidence and you, you, know, you, you learn all these things through the struggle. But for some reason... When it's sex and love, people expect it to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> that is strange. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not complaining or anything. But it's just that it, it, it's 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 strange. It is strange when you think about it that people yeah. don't expect to have to learn how to be married or to learn how to have good sex or to learn how to have a good relationship with somebody. Mm. And yeah. to my mind, I mean, this is one of the reasons that marriage is for life because that's how long it's going to take to learn how to do it right. It's going to take <laughs> <laughs> At least that long. Well, one of the joys of marriage is not so much getting it right every time, but knowing, eh, all right, we've got our life to get this right. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you don't feel like you're constantly auditioning and you could be fired at any moment if you make a mistake or something. <laughs> <laughs> However, and let me put a flip side to that. I've actually, because I've been involved in marriage counseling a bit, I've come across couples where almost the reverse is the case that because they're a, they're a traditional sort of Catholic understanding of marriage, one or the other spouse kind of rests on their laurels. They say, I'm married now. They have to stay with me. Why would I make right. this extra effort for them? Because we you know right. it's not like I'm trying to impress them. I'm just married. They just have to take what they get. Um, and there's almost like because of the security of it, they're, they're almost not making the effort, if you like. Yeah. What a horrible misunderstanding of what marriage is for. I mean, that's like saying I got into Harvard. Now I can just lie back. Like, no, now this is when it starts. This is the <laughs> <laughs> beginning that's not yeah. it's not it's not the end and, and 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 it's supposed to i mean one of the things one of the things that you can learn about natural family planning if you wish to learn it is that 
the other person in the marriage matters as much as you do. And the other person, your spouse's desires matter as much as your desires and your spouse's fears and anxieties matter as much as your fears and anxieties. And, and, and it really, it really gives you the opportunity. You can look at it as an opportunity to learn as much about your spouse as you wish they would know about you. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Any comment on that, Damien? <laughs> After that comment? Well, I've always thought, uh, as a, as a Christian, you're called to to a daily conversion mm. uh, because you can't you can't rest easy uh, just because you've been baptized. I mean, we know that's that's not how right. that works. And you, it's the same thing with marriage. You you have to renew that vow every single day, just about. You had a good day on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I actually perhaps we're we're doing a lot of laughing about this this and uh, there are, I know some people who don't like to you know this is a very serious topic. One of the things that's a hallmark of your approach, uh, Simka, so far, and, and of course we've seen fil- some of this filtering through in and Damien's comments uh, in public posting, is the sense of humour about it. And you make a big deal of this. In fact, there's a whole chapter of your book on having a sense of humour or laughing about sex. And this one quote stuck out, and I think it summed it all up, and that is, if you are not laughing about sex, you're not doing it right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And someone might say, well, hang on, what's this say about your sex life? But it seems to me that if you can't, you know, be a little bit, um, and I think you're using humor in the sense of a response to the absurdity and sometimes the tragedy of of sex. Yeah, I, I, I really, I wouldn't know how else, how else to phrase it, really. I mean, every once in a while, you do come across people who seem to feel that it's so, it is so very sacred and so very meaningful that how could you possibly laugh about it? And I just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> how is it not funny, indeed? Yeah. Mm. I think that's what we call the, the hole in the sheet method. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> was it, this is this is I think where Hollywood sort of get, it absolutely trashes it because they make out as if it's this really intense sort of um, passionate thing, but in fact reality is kind of organic and it's yeah. you know the kids knocking on the door yeah. or someone rings or the phone you know they're all these kind of um, just mess the mess of relationships and I think one of the one of the things in your book um, was that this cosmic joke that the, the our sexually compatible partners are almost complete, you know, opposites of us in in many respects. Um, in terms, you know, in terms of their approach, their understanding, their you know, likes, dislikes, all that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's where I mean, and that's not just true about sex, but it's just it's true about a, a marital relationship in general. You know, <laughs> I think Damien said to me the other day, like. What, what did you say? I don't recall. <laughs> he just said, he refuses to recall. Yeah. It was a moment. We just sort of had a moment where we thought, how the hell did the two of us get married? <laughs> <laughs> like, Renee, you remember before we were even dating. Yeah. Like, nobody saw No, we did not see that coming. I still remember (laughs) seeing you together, though, I think when you had just sort of looked into each other's eyes maybe a couple of hours before and I thought, oh, I've never seen Simi this giggly before. (laughs) So the the humour was already there at the beginning. You were outside the dormitory talking. It was very sweet. If if I can take that sense of humour a little further, um, your chapter on an examination of conscience, I think, comes just before that. Um, I, I haven't got the contents page in front of it. I almost think it, they're both related because your examination of conscience uses humor, like you unpack it and make a joke about, you know, have I wanted to prank call the Vatican about, you know, how angry I'm about, <laughs> about NFP or you kind of make a joke about it, but it actually the the ability, the capacity, if you like, to not take ourselves too seriously, not not... Um, you know, not be so somber about the whole thing is actually part of a genuinely healthy approach to an examination of conscience with regards to sex. Um, actually giving ourselves a break in terms of not getting it right perfectly or, or you know, having an imperfect approach. Um, is that a fair call? Absolutely. And and I feel like this is something that um, uh, if you're able, it, it's it's extremely helpful if you're able to talk to your spouse about it and to laugh with your spouse about it. And, and, and I, I, feel terrible for the people who aren't able to do that, who, you know, they're so afraid that they're going to be rejected or so afraid that they're going to hurt somebody's hurt, hurt their spouse's feelings or so afraid that, you know, something terrible is going to happen if they're really honest about it. That, I mean, this, 
not only not only the so there's, there's there's really two two aspects of it. I mean, the honesty that you ought to be able to have with your spouse at least some of the time, and also being able to recognize that everybody goes through this kind of thing. And this is where it really comes. It's really really invaluable to have some kind of a community to talk to, or at least one other person, or a few other people who are going through something similar, so that you can understand that this is not. I'm not. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> I'm not a horrible sinner. I'm not you know, intensely immature. It's just that this is hard and this is kind of weird. And it's okay to, to, to recognize that it's kind of ridiculous. It is kind of ridiculous. It's not that I'm doing it wrong. And it's not that I have the wrong approach or there's something wrong with me. It's just that it's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone else had this experience of, of going into to adoration and very getting the very real sense that he's kind of laughing at you. <laughs> for for non-Catholics, adoration is is an intense prayer before the sacrament, and and you're you're right there in the presence of Christ. <laughs> There's a lot of humor in the gospel too, which yeah. I don't think I think it's possible that you have to be Jewish to see some of it, yeah. which I am. But <laughs> it's 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 there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of jokes in the gospel that kind of go over people's head because we hear all thee and thou and everything, and it sounds very formal formal to us, but uh, Jesus was kind of a sarcastic guy, yep. and I think he recognized the ridiculousness of humanity because because he was part of it. Because you know he wasn't he wasn't looking down on us, but he was participating in it. And I think that Jesus himself saw that the whole having a body thing was kind of it's <laughs> kind of funny. Little, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's also in the Old Testament, by the way. The, the very first you know Genesis, the Genesis two, the whole story of how man and woman come together is is tongue in cheek drama because you have the man and God yes. says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will find a helper that's suitable for him. And then the animals get paraded in front of him right between let's go and find a helper for man and all the animals get paraded. And at the end of it, it says tongue in cheek, but no suitable helper for man could be found. So there's this image of Adam sitting there going, hmm, hmm, well, it's a very nice horse, but I'm just not sure it's going to work out. You know? and, and then the woman turns up and he goes, oh, at last, after all these other options. Right. Flesh found, of my flesh. Here we go. She's much better than a horse. Um, <laughs> Poor Adam. No, I, I think you're right. Absolutely, humor is built into it, and sarcasm in particular is built in. You know, you look at the book of Job, the whole thing is God being sarcastic back in Job, too. So, um, coming back to um, the struggle of marriage, one of the things I've come across is that people do actually need some good advice in this area. And the more disjointed and disconnected we've come from, become from family and, you know, the uncle or the aunt who would put the hand on the shoulder and give you that chat the more we need someone around who can who we can talk to at least honestly even obviously within a certain amount of confidentiality and 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 care but my concern is that the church is very good at spruiking the the rules and also the benefits of things but we need to, if we're going to talk about this as a real life we probably need to get in there and actually give them good advice because when you go looking for advice in in sex life there's plenty of people who want to tell us you know give us some advice and not all of it's great um, As my yeah. father says, advice is always free and plentiful and you can, you know, it's almost like there's there's never enough of it. It's always around. Mm. But yeah. do you think, uh, Simka, maybe you've got a different situation over there, but do you think the church is taking the struggle of married people seriously? Do I think that the church is taking the yeah, struggle in, seriously? In terms of like uh, when we say the church here, we're probably talking about, you know, a diocesan, like I've, I've had engagement. In fact, I worked for a marriage and family office for a little while, and and it seems as if the engagement is very much on the public policy or the interaction with politics or promotion of the sort of the the goodness of marriage. But there's there seems to be when we actually get down to the nitty gritty, not a lot of yeah. you know down to earth help with people who are who are genuinely trying to do the right thing, but they're struggling. Yeah, I think this is a uh, this is a situation where laymen really need to step up. That's right, because. Um, and and I feel like the new generation of priests. When I when I see young priests, you know, in their twenties or thirties on on Twitter or whatever on social media, they seem like they're a lot more clued in than older priests. <laughs> I mean, not to not to bash older priests, but you know, I go to confession and I mention something, and there's just this baffled silence. And I think, all right, just don't talk to me. Then I. You don't have to understand, Father. You'll be happy to know, maybe happy or, or horrified to know that I've I've recommended your book to several uh, young priests um, when they've asked me, in what yes. way can we actually understand the struggle of yeah. married life better? I've said, yeah. well, firstly, listen to people very carefully and ask them questions. But 
here's a book which will get you started. And they've, they've particularly been taken by that examination of conscience chapter, the whole how it's very different, but also very much it's little things that look so little from outside, but can actually be quite big things, like how we ask each other, how we actually approach um, you know, like the husband rocking up and saying, how's your goop today kind of thing. It's a the, <laughs> this kind of little things that the priest wouldn't necessarily understand unless he sees it in the context. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that, I think that, um, I do think that younger priests are more interested in in understanding really what people are going through. And, and you know, with the internet, there's a lot more opportunity for direct communication between people and, and, you know, people say anything on the internet, (laughs) but also I really, I really do think that, um, the, the, the laity have a huge role to play in this because, and, and and I don't believe, you know, priests hear confessions and that means they hear things that nobody else on earth hears sometimes. So I don't think it's necessarily true that, you know, there are celibate men and therefore they don't understand anything about marriage. I think they hear all kinds of things about marriage. Mm. But at the same time, it's not the same as experiencing it. Mm. And I think that um, another another married couple who has already been there, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, just 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 the, the the experience of meeting somebody who's already been through it and has come out on the other side, you know, happier yep. Yep. or not completely shattered or something like but that. There, and, there needs to yeah. be, I think, a lot of. Uh, you you go to you go to mass at some churches and it's nothing but uh, gray hairs. Yeah. And I think there, we need to get the younger couples involved with their parishes. Yeah. Well, my, I, somebody had an, a wonderful idea. You know, they do, um, I don't know what they call it in Australia, but they have pre-Cana counseling here, or not counseling, but like, you know, before you're going to get married. Yeah. Go yep. through, yeah. So you have to go through marriage preparation. And I think it was my brother-in-law, actually, who was saying they should have post-Cana uh, classes, which is after you get married and you're actually living the reality of what you've been preparing for, that's when you really need some support and advice and somebody that you can go to. Yeah, and we I actually don't have something like that here. Um, there there, there oh. are several programs that follow up after marriage, but to be honest, the take-up is quite low because yeah. because you have yeah. to, according to the diocesan restrictions here, if you're going to get married in a Catholic church, you have to demonstrate you've been to some pre-marriage counselling. So there's usually a weekend or so, you know, which yeah. apparently is good enough to undo all of the cultural stuff. <laughs> One weekend. Woo-hoo. And usually they're so terrified of mentioning anything to do with NFP, it just kind of gets vaguely mentioned about communication, but not actually said. Yeah. Even when it's said, of course, it's one weekend. So, And then the follow-up is usually people don't believe that they need it. We have this attitude of you got to marriage and that's the end of it. You know, you can, you can just coast along now. Um, and it's much later yeah. that we see the need for counseling comes in in our Catholic care agencies who are doing lots of marriage counseling. And I was just at a conference yeah. recently where we're trying to reintroduce a program called Retrovi in Australia, which is a response to quite tragic um, circumstances where people have, the marriage is already broken down and it, it's a, quite a struggle. We'll have another whole episode on that some other time, but Retrovi is this, this communicate, basically it's about communication and being able to effectively communicate our, our emotions and how things make us feel, which has in fact, I think an 85% ch- success rate in restoring marriages that have broken down. For people who for people who are interested yeah. in restoring their marriage, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right yeah. because most people aren't. And and the the get out of jail cause is just too easy in Australia. I mean, we have such a high divorce yeah. rate. I think it's over fifty percent now. Um, and and people are almost expecting it. So even when I I looked at a, a bank for a loan some time back, they they build in a figure which is a six six figure sum into every sort of calculation to do with housing loans if you're married because that's what they expect at least half of us to to actually have to deal with divorce oh what a shame oh my goodness hmm. i mean united states they don't we don't we're not actually bothering to get married is the thing right. <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what it's what it's like in australia but just people are just like it doesn't even occur to them to get married they oh, just, they, they're getting married less but but in fact later. church marriages mm. are plummeting mm. whereas the church marriages are plummeting yep. i think they went below 50 uh, five or ten years ago and then they're just absolutely way down below 25 percent i think now lots of marriages in inverted commas on um Oh, they're real marriages, sorry. Lots of marriages on beaches and in parks and things like that. And um, those figures include um, remarriages as well. But people just aren't getting remarried now. Like we're noticing that some of the figures are that once they've had one go and it didn't work, they just go, well, why are we doing this? You know, we've done this sort of attempt at a fairy tale. Let's just live together. They're being told that what they they should expect is to be 
is to be sparklingly happy all the time. Yep. And when they don't that, then they think, well, this well, marriage is stupid and why should I do this? <laughs> so there's, there's no in between. There's no process. There's no one to teach them how to be married. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and most yeah. of them think this is the best they've got. So they, they, when you have talked to many people who are living together or they don't, they don't see it as the ideal, but they say, this is the best I can hope for. This is my best choice available to me. And if we want to convince them to do something else or that there's a better choice, we've got to actually present that choice to them and show them actually there's a, there's a better way. There's something that's more fulfilling, more joyful, more um, com- a completion of you uh, than this choice. Yeah, and I think that, I think that just being, uh, be, uh, being an example of that is probably more powerful than any kind of like program or article or anything that you could present to people. I think just being openly happy in your marriage in public. Which kind of leads me to the next thing about family sizes because I'm guessing, I mean, I only have eight children and notice I said I only have eight children <laughs> because you guys have a, have some more. Um, and a few more. You get a few reactions when you when you're, you know, people say, are these all your children? And you say, well, all of these here are my children, but they're not all my Which, children. Four <laughs> <laughs> right. more at home in the car. <laughs> and they usually are horrified because their idea of a nightmare, usually they say, I have two and I don't know how you cope. And I always say to them, two was hard. Two was really hard because I had to be everything to that child. I had to be its uh, the, the child's comforter, friend, playmate, entertainer, everything. Whereas now they're very much it's a community. Like they 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 are all those yes. things, and I get to be dad. For better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they all have each other. Yeah. And long after right. I'm gone, they'll have each other. Yeah. So what about some reactions yeah. to that? Like we're getting family sizes, and and and. You know, I don't know about you guys, but over here, a family ticket to things is at most two children. <laughs> oh, I got so cross over the weekend because we took the kids to the gallery and we went to get a family pass because they said, look, we come here often enough now that I think we, it would be wise to get a family pass. And a family pass was two adults and two children. And the woman sort of right. looked at us and said, but I see you have three. And I said, no, we don't. We have four. And because one of the kids was <laughs> yeah. hiding it and her eyes just got really big. Yep. And I said, so basically yep. the state of New South Wales is telling us that we should only have two children. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, well, I wouldn't go so far as that, but this is what we can do with your membership and blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know, I mean, I know that this isn't your job or like you you don't make up the rules or anything, but two children in a family, seriously, is that a family? And she, <laughs> she sort of looked at me. <laughs> anyway, it was polite and everything in the end, but I thought what a sad situation mm. that that the norm is that you should only have two children. Well, we have and you get people exp- basically thinking to themselves, well, I'd actually like to have more, but everyone tells me how. I mean, two, it's so much work, and I don't actually have that many models around of people who have more children, hmm. and it becomes, you know, oh, how am I going to ha- afford to have more children? I can't have both of my cars and that big house and do everything else if I have more than two. So it becomes this whole... But when we were talking just a little while ago about... Um about marriage and, and being able to model marriage for, for new couples and a lot of couples that break up, it's because that's what's normal to them. Yeah. That's what's been normal to them. And a lot of folks who, who have one or two kids because that's what's normal to them. And what we have is, um, what, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with? What's your community? Who's, who's really your community? And is your, your church life supplying you your community? It was just coming to back to the, the whole priest thing that we talked about. Priests hear confessions, but in that case, they're only hearing the, the hard side and, and the, the, the mistakes. It's really important right. also, we, we've made a point of inviting priests for dinner and, and having them around and maybe you know watching a movie or something with them because it's important they also see the ordinary and positive side of things yeah. and, and you know that they're welcome into, into homes in that respect. Um, uh, obviously, with proper um, boundaries, etc. But it's important that the positive side of it's out there, and and not just for priests, but also for locals. I remember as a when we Susie and I, that's my wife's name, got together and we were we were married. All of our friends were single because we were married quite young, and they all came around and watched, sat around the table and watched just like hawks. And then when we had a, <laughs> when we had a fight, they were all very distressed and agitated. <laughs> they got much more upset about it than we did. And then we. After a little while, like, and one of my best friends would go to my wife and say, "Do you want me to punch him?" You know, <laughs> it's, it's all sort of thing. And we worked out that none of them, none of them, had actually seen a relationship work 
all of their families had broken relationships and they, even their friends and everyone, they'd never seen a marriage that worked. So they were desperately sort of gathering like moss around a flame, looking for at least once that this might work, once. And we, yeah. when we figured this out, we thought, oh, crap, they're looking at us. <laughs> But, that, but that's a good thing. I mean, showing just being being honest about it, and and showing that you're able to laugh when things. Because I know that you haven't had you haven't had an easy road of it. I mean, you know, you, you certainly had your you've had your you've had you've had your, you've had your share of struggles. But mm. but showing that you're able to laugh about it and that your life isn't life isn't shattered, you know, that this isn't this doesn't make right. life impossible just because you're going you're going through hard times or right. something like that. Because there really is this there there's this thirst. Despite all the distractions and the ridiculousness and the tawdriness and the pornography and and all the terrible things that modern life brings, there's still, uh, you know, like Hopkins says, there's this deep down freshness of things. (laughs) (laughs) People still, people are still human and people still have this thirst for, for, for the good, the true and the beautiful that is available to them just in simple, basic human relationships. Mm. And I think just being a witness and showing it, showing it to them. Without without putting on a show and without curating a perfect image, you know, and 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 trying to and trying to to make everything very polished and perfect, but just being being available to people and showing them, showing them the real simple joys of just marriage and and family life, like there's such a desperate need for that. It's in sh- such short supply. There's a there's a group down yeah. here that talk about evangelization by hospitality. Um, and their emphasis is that we, we're so concerned with the image of what people will think of us and that they'll think of us as being failures at marriage if we let them show the cracks, that we kind of, when we invite people over, I don't know if it's the same over there, but in Australia, when you invite people over, you've got to polish the everything so it's nice and sparkling clean yeah. and you've got to get everything perfect and the cooking has to be amazing and all the kids have to be in a row, like, I don't know, out of the sound of music, you know, <laughs> blow the whistle. In fact, it's actually much more helpful to them if they can come around any time and see the mess and see the thing that's just spilled on the floor and you're trying to yell at the kids to clean up or the, you know, all the various yeah. you know, the dishes that aren't done yet or something like that because they actually say, hey, it's actually okay. Like the whole world didn't come crashing to an end because we didn't have everything clean for the visitors. It's, it's okay to be a little bit, you know, right. not quite on top of things. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, I think, I think that in, in some ways it's more, it's more important than showing just all pure joy and happiness. I think um, like in, in Christian evangelical circles, you see a lot of that, that it's so very important to show the joy of the Lord. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Like, well, sometimes, it's exhausting. <laughs> well, he is good all the time, but you know. I feel like it, looks, it doesn't always look good, that's no, all. That's exactly right. It's, all, yeah. it's good for your family and for your kids to be okay with just being themselves and living their life. Like, your kids know when you're fighting with your spouse. Yeah. They know. Yeah. So they, they, you should make sure that they know when you've made up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think that's something like we're not necessarily, we have a kind of a small house and it's not always easy to hide when we're not getting along because we have times when we're not getting along, but we do try and make it just as public when we, when we do, you know, when we forgive each other and when we make up with each other and when we can laugh about the stupid things we were fighting about yeah. or whatever. My kids, to, my kids to, make a big show of going, ugh, whenever we, they see mum and dad kiss <laughs> or something, which, but they're noticing and they're making a big deal of it and say, yeah, well, yeah. one day that'll yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah, my 15-year-old son passed by our room the other day and said, get a room. Close <laughs> 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 <Just> the door. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that probably answers my my. Wrapping up question, which is about um, actually before we go to the wrap up, I'll ask you this one. We've talked about the joy of having many children. There is also we have to acknowledge um, a certain amount of reverse pressure in some Catholic circles of why haven't you had more children? Yeah. Why you know there's a kind of a you haven't had as many as us, and and some people have been without us even saying anything quite hurt um, by us having a number of children because they've tried very hard or. And they haven't been able to have children, or they're in a situation where it's simply not a good decision to have more yes. children at that point. And and we do also need to be um, generous and and careful not to place expectations one way or the other on something. Have you come across these? And sometimes it's providentialists who say just let God sort it out, but some of them are actually about marriages for having lots of kids, and if you're not doing it, you're not doing it right, kind of thing. I mean, I think what that really comes down to is it's very reductionist. It's it's treating your 
family life as if it's a numbers game. Yeah. And if it's the one thing that we learn from 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 God, it's that we're not we're not a number. We're not we're not about statistics. It's very very personal with Jesus. And and that means that it's about individual children that we're having and that we're cherishing and that we're making decisions about and it's about our individual marriage. So I mean, as you say, in some cases, in some cases, it it, it 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 makes much more sense to have a small family, and you can certainly, most certainly, have a happy and holy small family. Absolutely, and there are some situations where people desperately wish that they had a large family, and they just can't, and that's hmm. so extremely difficult. So, um, I, I think that we really, I think, quality over quantity. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes they sometimes go together, have, right? But. You know, I mean, I have seen places, I have seen couples where it does seem like they're having a race with each other to prove just how holy they are by having so many children. And they can't even tell you what their kids' names are. (laughs) 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 Oh, they're so stressed out all the time about how well-dressed the kids are or, you know, what, you know, how excellent they are and how, how virtuous and and beautiful. And the poor kids are sitting there like, ah. So is that the cheaper, do anything. Is that the second cheaper by the dozen movie where the two fathers are playing off the f- achievements of the children against each other? Uh, like, I'm oh, not my. sure. I haven't seen that one. It's um yeah. anyway. Um, coming down. To I, the, I didn't see that. <laughs> the last the last um part is that how do we change the culture? But if I could throw this one out there, part of the um the changing the culture is one one line that I love from your book, uh, Simka, and you said my attitude towards sex could be described in the word whoopee. <laughs> 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 But this is it. I mean, I once went into a classroom and sat down with year 10 boys and I was kind of had a whole bunch of notes, but I said to them, so I threw aside my notes and said, God wants you to have the best sex life possible. And then we talked about all the ways in which it can get hurt in a, in a relationship. And then when yeah. we, when they had identified all the ways you could get hurt, they then, we said, well, let's avoid all those. And what does it look like? It looks like someone who's with you, who's only with you, who's with you without leaving, who's with you exclusively. And this looks like something the church calls marriage. In other words, we're actually about positive things. It's sex is amazing and it should be. And, and a lot of the, all of the church's teaching is about keeping it that way and not cheapening it or not, or making it hurt. Um, I think if we've got that message going, we might have a, yeah. an effect on the culture more than just wagging our finger at everybody. Right. And there's a tremendous amount of freedom in the Catholic idea of sexuality, which people don't realize because they do talk about like, you know, all the things that you're not allowed to do. And it seems like, well, what's left. <laughs> and, 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 and in practice, once you get rid of all the things that don't belong there, then you have something that you can build on. And there really is. I mean, that's where the whoopee comes in. You know? <laughs> I'm glad I now know how to pronounce it. So. <laughs> you know, as it turns out, if you do, if you do trust and love and care about and intend to stay with somebody, then, you know, all kinds of things can pop into your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps I'll end on this note. Um, one of the books in the Bible is the Song of Songs, and it's one long erotic poem about these two people who are about to get married, and they're really excited about it. And they're, they're physically yeah. aroused and they're very interested in each other. They brag about body parts and you know, one of them <laughs> saying, look at her breast, and everyone, all their friends are going, yay, breast. So there's, there's a kind of a, a genuine celebration of sexuality there. And what intrigues me about this is that in the, as far as I understand anyway, you'd probably be able to tell me more about this, but the, in the Jewish tradition I understand this is read in its entirety um, before the Passover and in Shepardic um, tradition, it's read every Friday night before the the Sabbath. So it's like an anticipatory, um, it's read with the whole family present. So, you know, everyone down to the kids. And so they're getting a very positive and joyful affirmation of sexuality in a way that we would feel, oh, that's not appropriate for children. But if you, yeah. like, if the kids grow up with that, I could imagine that it would be like an antidote to the the pornification of sexuality. Um, because they've seen the wholesome, and they can see the counterfeit as being not something that's attractive. Yeah, yeah, I would hope. I would hope so. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly better than learning it from you know from from daytime TV or wherever wherever it is people that yeah. people learn about sex. Or well, the I gym mean, change is, room if you're in a in a school that I that's where most of my early knowledge came from, which is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. All righty. Well, it's been an amazing conversation. It's now it's time for a segment we call One Minute Wonder, and there's plenty to wonder about today. But let's pick something one that in one minute, Renee. I'll let you lead off so oh, we can really? set an example to our guest. Oh dear. Well, yeah. I don't know. I've never been a very good example of anything, but 
Um, I think that for me, the one minute wonder that I could talk about was um, there were seven ordinations in our in our cathedral, and there was a moment where you know the kids were stressed out, and our oldest was upset because we'd said we're going to the ordinations and you can't go on a play date, and it was all of this kind of stuff. And we arrived at the cathedral; it was already packed. And we just sort of looked around and my daughter turned to me and she's in a kind of cynical stage right now, but she turned to me and she saw all the people there and she saw that this was actually a big deal. Mum and dad weren't actually making this up because um, it was just beautiful and there was just such a sense of joy in the air. And she just turned to me and she said, wow. And I said, well, you do know that this is actually kind of a historical moment. I mean, when's the next time you're going to see seven young men vowing to do this for the rest of their lives and they are going to be able to change so many lives because if you think about everything that a priest does, it's pretty yeah. amazing. So it was kind of a shared moment of wonder with um, with my increasingly cynical 12-year-old. <laughs> 12 going on 30. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll um, set my own example, bringing it slightly down to a, an organic thing. Um, I, uh, I was just saying, I don't know if I said it on air, but I I was grumpy. I've worked 14 days straight or something, and I was very grumpy last Sunday. I had my first day off, and my kids were saying, hey, Dad's home. Let's go to the park. Um, and I was very grumpy with them, and I thought, oh, you know, it's just, you know, I've had a rough time. Let's leave me alone. What's happened since is I'm back at work this week, and my wife's been telling me all of the kids are out of sorts, all of them, and they're all reacting grumpily to each other. And I, we could trace it back to the fact that I was grumpy for that half a day after church. And I'm, I'm just yeah. amazed at how much my attitude, my general demeanor in the house has an impact on the whole house. Now, all of us, I'm not saying I'm the only one who has this impact. Of course, um, their mother does too, and um, each one of them has an impact. But I'm just amazed at how much little things like just attitude or answers back, the, way, the manner in which we treat each other shapes an entire experience for a whole week. And now I've got to really work on getting home and putting a positive thing on it. So it's just an amazing thing. Never imagine that you don't have an effect because uh, even yeah. the little things matter. Yeah. So over to you guys. Hit us with a one-minute wonder each. What do you got, Damien? Uh, oh, I, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> the dog ate your homework. <laughs> reading, I was, I've been reading the, the Gospel of John in adoration, and um, he just he keeps just if if you if you want to know what the Father has to say, you have to come through me. He's really, really, really clear about that, and mm -hmm. and it's it's just thinking about how clear Christ is in this world about what he wants from us and. Uh, how easy he is to approach. Hmm. That's about all I got. Cool. That's beautiful. Simka. Now I feel silly because I was going to talk about whales. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, talk about whales. That's funny. All right. Well, we went on a whale watch when we went on our vacation. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we bought tickets and went out on a four-hour trip on a whale watch. And I told the kids... That, you know, it, it's just, it's fun to go out on a boat and even, you know, there's no guarantee that we're going to see any whales. Um, and, and we went and we went and we went and we saw whales. We yeah. saw so many. I was, we saw, we saw, uh, who were they? were bluefin whales and humpback whales. Humpback whales are the ones that have those weird little like yeah. knobs all over the top of their heads. They're so strange. And they, the, we saw two mother and calf pairs and they do this strange thing where they don't um, breathe involuntarily they have to be conscious of breathing all the time so only half of their brain falls asleep at once apparently they were telling I mean, this is some layman's terms that they were telling us but half of their brain is awake or, or is asleep or awake at, at all times so they do this strange thing where they sort of bob up and down they slowly rise up into the up into the surface and then they slowly sink down again and the mother and the calf were doing this together half asleep and just keeping they were just, they were just keeping awake and they were half asleep and they were in, like, they knew that we were there, but they didn't care. <laughs> is this a, is this a life goal, Simka? Yes, I want to be a whale. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't mean that. I meant in terms of the, the genuine, like the peacefulness of it and the indifference I to surrender. I want to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> I want to sit down. I have to sit down. What yes. was the name of your blog? I have to sit down. I have to sit down. That's right. Yeah, that, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will be putting your blog and, and, and other links in the show notes for those people listening. Um, I highly recommend checking out Simka's blog and, and the other things she writes for all the different links we'll put in the show notes. And particularly, um, 
not only do yourself a favor, but do the fishers a favor by putting in um, a, a Patreon. Is that right? Patreon um, oh, subscription, yes. which gets you access to their the the ordinary um, marvelous mayhem of marriage and and their comments. And my personal favorite is still your review of Fireproof. Um, I was literally <laughs> unable to breathe as I was reading, as I was listening to that. So yeah, thank you for that. It was exactly how I felt. We kind of curse on the on the podcast. Oh, they're Australian. Yeah, you've been yeah, really clean Aussies. on this one, yeah. though. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're Aussies. This this podcast, by the way, we've rated at MA, whatever it is. Is it MA? Yeah, okay. So we're fine. We're fine. We we don't habitually swear just for the sake of it, but we're able to do so, and hence we're able to talk about sex. So that's fine. <laughs> You can subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. You can tell us what you liked or what you didn't like and what you'd like us to discuss in a future show by dropping us a line at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Thank you for those who have been doing so. I'm trying to get to all the emails as quickly as I can, and I'm really impressed by all of the um, suggestions so far and the feedback. Um, and if, you know, if you've got constructive criticism, that's helpful too. You can join in the conversation by joining our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord chat, or you could find the links in our show notes. Be sure to write us a review on iTunes. Remember, you have to be signed into the iTunes player. That helps other people find us. Um, and that's already starting, and we're starting to get um, a lot more interest in the show because of that. So that's a really handy thing. We want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today. We've been deeply touched by all the things you've added, but specifically I want to say thanks to, to Damien and Simka Fisher. It's, it's reasonably late over there. We've caught them at the end of a busy day, and they've been very kind in providing their uh, excellent wisdom and fun uh, for this show. So thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Remember that this is a uniquely Australian podcast, uh, drawing on all the wisdom of the world, as you've just heard, and we, we think this is a great idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends about it. Before we go, it's time for some shout-outs. So a quick shout-out, Renee. Well, I want to send a shout out to the classes of, I was trying to calculate this, but this would be the class of 97. Is that what we were in, Simca? And the class yeah. of 98 for you, Damien. So to oh, all the okay. alumni, were you 98? Is that right? Renee, I, I, I hate just about everybody I went to college with. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no shout-outs. No that's shout terrible. No shout-outs. All right, well, I'm going to shout-out to everyone in the class of 98 except for Damien Fisher, <laughs> and I'm going to shout-out to everyone in the class of 90, <laughs> 97, including Simca, um, and also to those who taught us during those years because I'm increasingly grateful for all of the sacrifices that were really made yeah. for our education. Um, yes. and yeah, so I'm just shouting out to everyone. Good stuff. Over to you guys. Oh, I want to shout out to Benedict the 16th. We still love you, man. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome. And I'd like to, I, I'm going to shout out to all of the, uh, very helpful people in the New Hampshire attorney general's office who I've been pestering all week with right to know requests. <laughs> <laughs> there's a story brewing. Literally Excellent. there's a story brewing. Um, I'd like to shout out to the the listeners who've been, you know, basically keeping me on my toes with all these comments and and all this uh, great feedback. I'm really keen to do that. But I also want to shout out to some friends in various podcasts who've been giving me feedback um, on the podcast and helping us get better at that. And some American podcasts, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Armchair Catholic in America, but um, those guys have been very helpful Um I can't wait to talk to them on a podcast show because I disagree with them on a number of things American, but uh, it's good to have that kind of interaction between cultures. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to This Catholic Life. <laughs>